We're going to be in Romans 5 here in just a little bit. Romans chapter 5. You've heard it a thousand times. God loves you. I mean, haven't you heard that? You see it on billboards, you see it on church signs, you see it on bumper stickers, it's an internet meme. I mean, you, you see it on Christian merchandise, t-shirts, buttons, pencils. I mean, you, you've heard it so often. If you're like me, you, you've heard it so much, it's, you don't hear it anymore. It's kind of white noise. It's a cliche, just kind of, mm, you know, God loves you. Well, of course God loves me. You tell me something I don't know, you know. Or of course God loves me. What's well, not to love? <laughs> but this morning, I want us to consider the enormity of that statement. That God loves you. That there is a God in the heavens, an almighty God, a creator God who created the universe just by the power of his word. This infinite, eternal, almighty God knows who you are, where you are, and what you are, and he loves you. Let's consider that this morning. God's love for us, how he loved us, the extent to which he loved us. And we're going to find our, our, our source this morning in Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 is our text and verses 6 through 10. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So let's, this, let's consider this morning this, this love of God. No greater love. Now, before we can really begin to appreciate God's love for us, there are some harsh realities we need to come to terms with. There are some, some inconvenient truths we need to know. So if you have your bulletin, there's a listening guide on the back panel. Let's start with some bad news. And I'm going to warn you up front. It's bad. It's really bad. This is bad news. First of all, we are sinners. That's the bad news. We are sinners. We just read that uh, in verse 6. While we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. That's you and me. Ungodly. Living without respect for God, without regard for God. Think secular. Living in such a way that God is even not a part of the equation, he's not a part of the math, he's not a part of the consideration, ungodly. Not only that, but in verse 8, it says that while we were yet sinners, that's you and me, we have sinned against God. Now, now you may be thinking, well, Brother Jeff, speak for yourself. You're a sinner, but I'm not. Well, okay, hang on. <laughs> Let's make one left-hand turn. One, go back to chapter 3 for me. Romans chapter 3 and verse 9. Paul says, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all understand. That's Jews and Gentiles. That's everybody. Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks, everybody, all are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who do, does good, not even one. And then down in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners, every last one of us. Now, sin, by definition, is just disobeying God. It's just this, that simple. Disobeying God. It's doing the things God commanded us not to do or failing to do the things that God commanded us to do. That's sin. And all have sinned. You know, a, a simple diagnostic tool, tool would be the Ten Commandments. Now, there's more to God's Word and God's law than just the Ten Commandments, but you can just look at the Ten Commandments. 
And an honest assessment of your life in light of the Ten Commandments would demonstrate, yep, I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. I've done the things he said not to do. I failed to do the things God said to do. I am a sinner. But here's the thing. We're not sinners because we sin. We actually sin because we're sinners. It's the human condition. We are in Adam. We are a fallen race. We are sinners by nature. That's bad news. But wait, it gets worse. Not only are we sinners, you need to know that we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God. Look in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are enemies of God. Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have separated between you and your God and have hidden his face so that he does not hear. Paul describes us without Christ as being alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Alienated from God, hostile in mind toward God, engaged in evil deeds. The enemies of God. Now we tend not to think of ourselves in those terms, do we? I've, I've never talked to an unbeliever who would say, oh yeah, I'm an enemy of God. I, I understand that. No, no, no. What we usually say is, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not a bad person. Well, I know I've done some bad things, but I'm basically a moral person. Well, I may not be very religious, but I am very spiritual. Well, I'm better than a lot of people I know. You know I'm better than a lot of people who go to church, I'll tell you that. I, I, I'm basically a good person. And I believe that when, when I die, it'll all work out, and I'll go to heaven because I'm, I'm basically, like I said, a good person. I've never really hurt anybody, and it'll all work out. I had a man tell me one time, yep, me and the old man upstairs, we got an understanding. Oh, my friend, no, you don't. God understands you're his enemy without Christ, separated from God, condemned in your sins. It's bad. It's really bad. You know, as you go through life, you're going to make some enemies. It's, it's, just, you're going, it's going to happen. But the last enemy you ever want is God Almighty. We are sinners. We are enemies of God. Oh, but wait, it gets worse. I told you it was bad. <laughs> it gets worse. We are also under the wrath of God. We are under the wrath of God. Again, verse 9. Having been uh, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The wrath of God. Now, that's one of those things we don't like to talk about a whole lot. We'd rather talk about God's love and grace and mercy and truth and patience. But God is also a God of wrath. His wrath is his settled opposition to sin. Because he is a loving, holy, and righteous God, sin incurs or provokes the wrath of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, He who believes the Son has eternal life. But he that does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Paul tells us that we are by nature children of wrath. That is to say, we are sinners by nature, deserving the wrath of God. In fact, we're storing up wrath against the day of wrath. That's what the Bible tells us. It's bad. It's really bad. I'll, I'll show my age just a little bit. When, when I was young, one of my favorite TV shows was The Incredible Hulk. Y'all remember that show with Bill Bixby and David Banner? Okay, you're as old as I am then. Um, or, uh, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. And the, the beginning of that show, uh, mild-mannered David Banner is telling the intrepid reporter Jack McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Well, it's kind of like that with God. We like the mild-mannered God, loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. 
But my friend, don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. The Bible has a lot to say about the wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks of him as a consuming fire, a terrifying expectation of judgment, that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Without Jesus Christ, we are sinners. We are the enemies of God. We are under the wrath of God, storing up wrath against the day of wrath, but wait, it gets worse. We are helpless to do anything about it. We are helpless. Look at verse 6. While we were still helpless, helpless, the enemy of God, condemned in our sins, guilty, and incurring God's wrath, and we can't do a thing about it. You can't fix it. You can't make it better. You, you can't even mitigate the situation. There's nothing you and I can do. We are helpless. You, going to church won't fix it. Joining a church, being religious won't fix it. You can be a faithful spouse and a loving parent and a patriotic citizen, and you can be a generous person. I mean, you can do all kinds of kind and wonderful things, but it won't, it won't change any of these facts that we've already seen. I told you it was bad. It's bad. It's really bad. And when you begin to just get a glimpse of how bad it is, you cry out with Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, God, please forgive us. Now we're ready for some good news. Now that you understand how bad the bad news is, now we can appreciate how good the good news is. And when you get a glimpse of how good the good news is, that makes you want to shout hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the good news. God does love us. God loves us. John 3.16, you know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He thus loved. Here's how he loved the world. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, we just read here in verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God loved us. Imagine that. Recognizing how unholy, ungodly, how intrinsically unlovable we are, and yet God loved us, and he didn't just love us, he loved us in this way. He gave his only begotten son. That's the next thing. God loves us, and Christ died for us. Here's how God loved us. Christ died for us. In verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said in, in, in John 15, greater love hath no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Don't ever think that the cross took Jesus by surprise, that he just miscalculated. He misread the room. He was the victim of tragic circumstances or evil screams. Oh no, Jesus knowingly, willingly laid down his life for you and for me. No greater love. He, he willingly laid down his life for you and me, paying the penalty for our sins. See, the wages of sin is death. So Christ died for us. He died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins. Not only did he die for us, he rose again for us. He rose again as well. At the end of chapter 4, if you want to just look up at the top of the page, at chapter 4 and verse 25, he was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. The gospel, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Christ died for us. 
He was buried and he was raised again, according to the scriptures. Or as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, he died and rose again on our behalf. He died for you on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb for you. And he was raised again on the third day for you. He died and rose again on our behalf. Oh, that's the love of God. Why would he do that? To what end? To what purpose? Here's why. Here's the purpose. So that we can be reconciled to God. We can be reconciled to God. Here's the good news. It just gets better and better, doesn't it? God loves us. Christ died for us. He rose again for us. And now we can be reconciled to God. Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are the enemies of God. Helpless to do anything about it. So God made a way we could be reconciled to him. We can't bring ourselves to God, but God made a way that he could bring us to himself. He made a way for us to have peace with God. That's what he says in verse 1. We can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. God made a way that we could be reconciled to him through the death of his son in an empty tomb. That's how we can be reconciled to him. In fact, not only are we reconciled, but but we become his children. We, We not only go from being no longer being his enemies, to being at peace with God, but we, we are reconciled to the point he brings us into his family. John tells us in chapter 1, to as many as received him, receiving Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we might be called the children of God, and such we are. Wow. But wait, it gets better. God loves us. Christ died for us. He rose again for us. We can be reconciled to God. And now that means we can be justified. We can be justified. We can be made right with God. To be justified is God making us and declaring us righteous, just, right with God, right with respect to his law, just before him, righteous. That's justification. It's one, just one facet of this diamond that we call salvation. We are justified by faith through Jesus Christ. We're justified by his blood. Let me illustrate this way. Confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation, right? I'll confess something. In the 40 years I've been driving cars, I've gotten a few speeding tickets. I know, right? It's, I'm sorry. It's hard. Hard to imagine. I've gotten a few tickets. I do not have a perfect driving record. When I was young, 16, 17, 18, something like that, I had an at-fault accident. I was at fault. It was my fault. I rear-ended a 73 Ford Pinto. You remember the ones that explode when you rear-end them? <laughs> so a few years ago, I got a ticket for not wearing my seatbelt. How dumb is that? So I do not have a perfect record. Now let's say tomorrow... Just try to imagine. It's hard. But let's just say tomorrow I'm, I'm on I-24 driving to Nashville with everybody else in Montgomery County. We're all driving to Nashville, and I'm just keeping up with traffic, going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit like everyone else. And let's say I, I get pulled over and I get a ticket. Oh, it's going to be a bad one. It, I mean, we're not talking speeding. We're talking reckless driving. And I have to go to court, and I'm standing in front of the judge, but the judge, the judge knows me. The judge is my friend. The judge loves me. And the judge says, Brother Jeff, what have you done? This is going to be bad. Brother Jeff, I hate this for you because the fines are going to be astronomical. 
but that's just the beginning of your troubles. There are going to be points on your record you could lose your license, and your insurance company will probably drop you. And if you can find insurance, they are going to punish you for the years to come. This is bad. I hate this for you. But I love you, Brother Jeff. I tell you what, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find somebody with a perfect driving record. Anybody here have a perfect driving record? I didn't think so. I'm going to find somebody with a perfect driving record. And here's what we're going to do, because I love you so much. I'm going to take your record and make it theirs. I'm going to take their perfect driving record and make it yours. And so from now on, you're going to get the safe driving award. You'll get a safe driving bonus. You'll get a rebate on your insurance, whereas they're going to pay all your fines and your and your crazy insurance rates. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. I wouldn't want to be the guy with the perfect driving record. That's not nice. But wait, let's say that the person with the perfect driving record is right there in the courtroom, and they love me too. And they say, Your Honor, that's a great idea. Let's do that. He can have my record. He can have all the perks that go with my perfect driving record, and I'll pay all the penalties he deserves. I'll take his record. Now, that's an illustration. It's a silly story, and all analogies fall short. But that's what happens in the courtroom of God. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I've got a perfect record. He doesn't. I'll take his, and he can have mine. God made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God takes your guilt and applies it to Christ on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He satisfied the wrath and the justice of God with respect to our sin. That's propitiation. And then God takes the righteousness of Christ and puts it on our record, and he declares you just, justified, righteous. Not because you haven't sinned, but because Jesus never sinned. The righteousness of Christ. Oh, it's good, isn't it? See, when you understand how bad the bad news is, now you get to understand how good the good news is. But wait, it gets better. There's more. Now, now because we're justified, we can be saved from God's wrath. In verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Remember, we're the enemies of God, under the wrath of God, storing up wrath against the day of wrath. But now, when you are justified by his blood, you can be saved from the wrath of God through him. That wrath is not yours anymore. You're saved from the wrath of God to come. And then that means we can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Back up in verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith. Or, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus tells us that, that he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. You do not deserve eternal life. You cannot buy the forgiveness of sin. You can never pay for salvation. It's God's merciful, gracious gift. And all you can do is receive it. You accept it. How do you receive it? How do you accept it? By putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You're saved by grace through faith. And anybody can do that. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that brings us to a question. And the question is, how will you respond? What are you going to do with that? What do you do with the gospel? What are you going to do with Jesus? What do you do? How do you respond to an empty tomb? What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Jesus preached. 
repent and believe the gospel. Repent, that was, that was the Lord's message. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to turn around. There's a turning away from and a turning to, to turn back. That's turning. It's a change of mind that changes your life, changes your direction, changes things you do. That's repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. In Acts 16, 30, 31, we have a point blank question with a point blank answer. Point blank question. What must I do to be saved? Let's just get down to it. What do I got to do to be saved? Point blank question. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now, we have a problem. You know the New Testament was not written in English. English wasn't a language then. The New Testament was written in Greek, Koine Greek to be exact. We speak English. We don't speak Koine Greek. The problem here is that our English language translates the Greek verb form of faith as believe because we do not have the verb form of faith in our language. We don't say you need to faith in Jesus. We say you need to have faith in Jesus. And I tell you that that's a problem because the Greek word for faith does not mean to mentally, mentally agree with something. But that's exactly what our English word believe can mean. I believe that. I believe that's true. I believe I, I agree with your proposition. I accept that as truth. That's believing. But that's not faith. Faith is to trust in, to lean against, to put all your weight upon. That's faith. You can believe and not have faith. I can believe all day long air travel is safe. I, I believe it's safe to get in an airplane and fly around the world. I, I believe that. Faith is when you get in the airplane. And now you're trusting your life to a plane and to a pilot. Oh, I see there's a difference. You can believe. The devils believe and tremble. That's not faith. You faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're saved by grace through faith, not agreement, not believing. You're saved by grace through faith. In other words, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not a church, not a religion, not a creed, not a code, not a rite, not a ritual, not your good deeds, not your family heritage. I trust Jesus Christ. I trust his death to atone for my sins. I trust his resurrection to give me life. I trust him to save my soul, to forgive my sin, to be my Lord. I trust him with my life, my death, my eternity. If we could use gambling terminology, I bet the farm on Jesus. It's all or nothing. Jesus. If he doesn't save me, I'm sunk because I have no plan B, no other options, no hedging. Jesus. I trust Jesus. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You need to know it's bad. Without Jesus, it's bad. It's really bad. You don't have an understanding with God. You're not okay with God. It won't all work out in the end. You're the enemy of God, a sinner condemned in your sins, storing up wrath against the day of wrath. But the good news is God loves you. And he proved it in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you and his family. He wants you to spend eternity with him. You must repent and believe the gospel. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you like to do that today? Boy, what a, what a day. Of all days, the day of Easter, resurrection, new life, and new beginnings. What a day to be saved. In a moment, we're going to stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here. I invite you to come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus. I want to be saved. However you want to say it. And we'd love to talk with you privately. We won't pressure you. But we can pray with you if you'd like to. But you could leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home because Jesus is your Savior. Say yes to Jesus Christ. If you are saved, oh, let, let the empty cross and an empty tomb just remind us God's love for us. God loves you. Wow. Look at how God loves you. And 2 Corinthians 5 says, He died for all so that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So now that I know Christ, 
I don't live for myself. I live, I live for him. And he has given me the ministry of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador for Christ in that same chapter. It's my job to go tell other people how they can be right with God, how they can be saved, how they can be reconciled to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Easter Sunday and the truth it represents, not just this Easter Sunday, but every Sunday of the year that we serve a risen Savior. Lord, I pray for the one who's never been saved and help them to hear and, and to see and to know that they are a sinner before you, that they are condemned in their sins, that they're storing up wrath against the day of wrath, that it's bad. It's really bad. But you love them. You love them in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God, I pray that you'd convict them of their sin and bring them to the cross. And Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Just take charge of this time of decision. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.